0: So we're in a series, the cross, enough said, the cross, the power of the cross. So go to Matthew 26, Matthew 26. So we have to look at the cross before the cross. We need to look at it every time Jesus talked about it because it has implications for all of eternity, because when Jesus opens his mouth, it's eternal in nature. When he opens his mouth, he speaks throughout all time, past, present, and future. And this is the picture we have here in Matthew 26, 1 through 5. Verse 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the, excuse me, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who is called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Famous text, let's pray. Father, just teach us and show us your glory that is in the cross of Jesus Christ. Just open up your word to us, pour it into our hearts. The world can never fill us. You alone fill us your spirit and your word so fill us today we've asked we will receive we're your children in Jesus name amen that easy that simple I'm going to preach for 30 minutes oh I just hedged myself in there I'm going to end early then I'm going to give you some announcements at the end of service good announcements you can always stay around for good things right but we will let you out on time but let's honor the word of God and learn something from the word of God Jesus, two days from the Passover, two days from um, the crucifixion. It is Wednesday. The Passover feast is going to start on Friday. So we are right around that time also as uh, Wednesday. It would be this Wednesday and then Friday's Good Friday. So this is the time that it's in. Jesus has been talking about his crucifixion for about two years. About two years he's been prepping the disciples, and now they're two days from the Passover feast. And this statement is going to mark the end of something and the beginning of something. And let's look at it. Verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished saying all these things. Anytime you're reading your Bible... And it says all these things, or it says because of this, or this happened. Always look before to understand what he's saying there. What are all these things? Well, if you look in the chapter before, Matthew 25, it's a big one with a whole lot of red, isn't it? You got a little red letter, maybe? Look at all, look, look at that. That's large print. Y'all can see the red. Look at all that red. Nothing but red. Red and nothing but red. Goodness. Look, look at all that's almost all red, too. So what's going on here? This, in fact, is the largest discourse of our Lord and Savior, uninterrupted. Now, remember, chapter and verses didn't exist when this was spoken. We have them now. It kind of gives us an understanding. This is 93 consecutive. The Sermon on the Mound is 88. Jesus starts his earthly ministry, his teaching ministry, excuse me, his public teaching and preaching ministry of the kingdom of God at the Sermon on the Mound in Matthew 5. And he's going to end it right here. And he ends it with the end times. He just speaks through about 2,000 plus years of history. I don't know how long it's going to be. He does when he comes back. He just speaks about the end times and everything. This is the mark, the statement in Matthew 26, 1. Now it came to pass the, then when Jesus had finished all these things. That's the end of his public teaching ministry. He has ended it right there. Let's look at the Sermon on the Mount to kind of see the beginning in Matthew 5, 1 and 2. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he had, was seated, his disciples came to him, very familiar like the end, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Okay, so here comes the beautiful, perfect words of Jesus. The world has never heard such sermons and public teaching like this. He's going to speak, and then if you go to the end, how does this sermon end? What do they do? What do they say in Matthew 7, 28? And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. Everyone is just sitting there astonished. Now, I didn't know this. You can read the Sermon on the Mount, you know, 12, 15 minutes. I didn't know this in my study. This culture was a dominant hearing culture. It wasn't a visual culture. You know, not everyone had the Torah you know, on, on their mantle. So they w- were heavy into memorization. I knew that part. This is the part I didn't know. Do you know that the Sermon on the Mound, when Jesus spoke it in the style, because he was like a rabbi, right? He was in the style of a teacher, that it was designed to be memorized? You already knew that, though, no, Paul. Like, oh, yeah, I read that years ago. I didn't know that. I was like, oh, it was designed to be memorized. And so he would end it the same way, in a communication style that was easily remembered. Designed to be memorized also so beautiful the people are astonished he goes for three years healing the sick all of these things all of these things are happening then he ends with the end times i have a point here it's coming he ends with the end times and the future and everything's going to happen in the end times oh you know those disciples are just sitting there remembering to breathe <gasps> but that's not enough that is not enough And that's hard to say the perfect God and the perfect words coming out of his mouth are not enough. Because the next statement says it's not enough. When Jesus ends his ministry, when he ends his public ministry, he had finished saying these things, then he steps forward and he says, in two days, the Son of Man will be crucified. In two days, everything I've done, every perfect word I've spoken is not enough. In two days, it'll be enough. Because crucifixion is coming and the sins of the world will be paid for by the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. You've got some notes there. The cross is the exclamation point of all Jesus' teachings. Now, I know in our culture and society, exclamation points are overused. Now, come on now. Are you an overuser of exclamation points? Yes? Just give me your phone. Let me see the text. Yes? Do you use, do you use more than one? Overused. <laughs> I need you to go get milk. Nine exclamation points, right? It's overused. There's this whole subculture that's angry at the world for exclamation points. I didn't know this. My study. They have all these. They're like, how dare everyone overuse exclamation points? I think it's these English professors that are really angry inside. They haven't been able to let this go. This culture is so common, you know, to use exclamation points. But right here, Jesus ends his teaching and says, every perfect word out of my mouth is not enough. I will use the cross to put an exclamation point on everything he has said. The reason why every word of Jesus is true is because it was true from the beginning when it came out of his mouth, but at the same time, it wasn't complete until the cross. When the cross happened, then the exclamation point happened. I tell you, we need exclamation points in our life, right? That are not words. If I, need to, if I want to be a better Christian, I need to speak better. Truth is so important. Words are so important, right? But I tell you what we need. We need exclamation points that are our actions, right? After he had finished saying all these things, I'm done talking. Now I'm going to show you why the Son of Man was born. Amen? Exclamation point. I tell you, this encourages me because when I lack... I think about the cross. When I have a a ho-hum day, I think about his exclamation point. When I have less than, I think he did not. There is my confidence. There is our peace. Amen. There is our salvation. Look, I don't get to, I don't, I try not to overuse exclamation points, right? If you do, that's okay. But you need to fall back in your Christianity and always remember, everything and all his teachings, and you get through three Beatitudes and like, I didn't do that one so well, you go to this text and you say, the cross. Amen? Amen. I saw this in action a few weeks ago. Uh, it was at my grandmother's funeral. Um, so let me preface this. Anytime I talk about a person that's alive that we know, we're all sinners saved by grace. No one's amazing and no one's whole, Right? If I if I exalt someone or say something good about someone and you know something bad about them or something you don't like, that's you, if you say something good about me next week, someone will say something bad, right? <laughs> so I was at a funeral and um, Todd Menard came to the funeral. And I knew he was coming and I, I texted him. I said, Todd Menard, he's the pastor at Family Life. I said, you don't need to come to a funeral in East Texas. It's two and a half hours one way. And... It's not like it's our immediate family, right? It's not our immediate family. My grandmother, she was 82. She did, you know, no big deal. He's like, no, no, I want to be there. So he drives with his wife two and a half hours to come to a funeral. I'm like, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. And then he says, listen, I can only stay for 45 minutes. I just, just came to, to pay my respects and say hi and all this. And then I have to leave and drive to the other side of Erath, Louisiana, because I have a meeting. I have to help some people take care of some things. Can I tell you, if I was him, I would think that is not the best use of my time, right? I'm thinking, why in the world would you spend your whole day, two and a half hours to get to East Texas, just to stay for 45 minutes, just to drive almost three hours, really three hours back to Erath, just to help some people who are dealing with issues? What in the world is wrong with you? I'm going to tell you. Todd doesn't say the best things all the time sometimes. We disagree theologically on things. We know that. He's one of my overseers. But I'm going to tell you, he's got some exclamation points in his theology. Amen? Let us have those two. All right. All right, y'all loosen it up. Y'all loosen it up. having instructed His disciples and the Jews by His teaching, edified them by His example. That's what an example does, it edifies us. Convicted them and convinced them by His miracles, He now prepares to redeem them by His blood. Verse 2. You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be crucified and the Son of Man will be crucified. This is the first time this is said. He says cross, but crucified, this is the first. He is pronouncing exactly what will happen and how it will happen. Okay, this is the Passover, two days before the the great and the largest event in Israel's calendar year. This is the first of three, but the Passover is the biggest. Jerusalem is five times bigger than it normally is. It's huge. It's packed, packed, packed. If I was going to do something like, you know, if people, are, people that are critical of the cross disagree with Christianity, this would be the worst time to be crucified because it's, you have witnesses everywhere to say if it's true or not, right? Five times as many. So that's a proof of Christianity that it is true. And the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. He looks at his disciples. He ends his earthly teaching, and he says, I want to tell you about the crucifixion. This is going to fix everything. The crucifixion is going to fix everything. That's so hard for his disciples to comprehend. It's so hard. Think about them and, and thinking about the rule of Rome and how they thought the Messiah would come and why and when and all these things. The Son of Man is going to fix everything by His crucifixion. The antidote for mankind will be the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. His suffering will be the antidote. It is hard to think about this, but this is the true statement. His suffering is the antidote for ours. Let me say that again. Let's think about that. His suffering is the antidote. For our suffering. That's biblically accurate. That's the best I could come up with for point two. His suffering is the antidote for yours. His suffering is the antidote for all of my suffering. The thoughts of a suffering Christ are the greatest supports for suffering Christians. Suffering with him and for him is our greatest comfort. I got this book last year. It is still the best book I have ever read on the cross of Jesus Christ. I highly encourage you, if you could read a book, one book in the next two years, I would encourage you to read this one. John Stott, The Cross of Jesus. The Cross of Jesus Christ, excuse me. The, excuse me, The Cross of Christ. The Cross of Christ. Listen what he says. He was a great uh, Englishman, preacher, pastor, theologian, all of those things. But listen to what he says. I would never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who, who was immune to it? With compelling honesty, John Stott confronts this generation's issues of suffering. Can we see triumph in tragedy, victory in shame, Yes, we can. The cross is our antidote for our suffering. I want to read you 1 Peter 2, and let's explain this much better than I can. Listen to the way Peter explains this. 1 Peter 2, 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the God, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the what? When they're suffering, when there's not good, when there's anything bad with people or life or any of that. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, because you're doing this for Him, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your fault you are taken you take it patiently now remember when you hear the word you are beaten you think well that's horrible that was their capital punishment for us it would be when you go to jail or when you pay a fine but when you do good and suffer if you take it patiently this is commendable for God now this will challenge your theology the next statement what does those first five words say right there to this this you were called. To this, Christ was called. Do I follow Christ? Do you follow Christ? We don't look for suffering or pain or any of those issues. But the antidote for our suffering is understanding to this we are called. To this you are called. A calling? A a vocation, a, um, a gifting, a ministry. It's your ministry. It's my ministry. And we need to think about it like that. Listen, this will fix your wagon, okay? I'm just going to tell you right now, you got a squeaky wagon? Hey, anybody been to Walmart and tried to find a cart that didn't make noise? There we go, amen, right? You cannot find a cart at Walmart that does not make noise. This will fix your wagon to this you were called. I have the right perspective now of suffering in this world and issues. Now, if I'm suffering for my own sin, my my own issues, that's, I understand, God will still give me grace in that. But when I'm suffering for his name, to this I'm called. So next time someone is mean to you or cuts you off, Or something happens. Or your wife's disrespectful when she should have been respectful. Or your husband was unloving when he should have been loving. Or that boss was quick-tempered when he should have just listened to understand the problem with the didn't work at work. To this you were called. Amen? That will set you free because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in whose steps? His steps. All right, Lord, I understand how to get that wagon fixed now. His suffering is the antidote for ours. His suffering is the antidote for ours. All right, let's keep looking here. If you really wanted to get a tattoo, if I did, I'm not a tattoo guy, but if I wanted to, that may be that's up there in the top 3. To this I was called. <laughs> that's up there in the top 3. <laughs> verse 3. Jesus makes the announcement about the cross to the disciples. Then he says, verse 3, then the chief priests, this is Matthew 26, the scribes and the elders of the people assembled They assembled where? At the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. And plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. Now, let me set this up because there's a lot of history here. So Caiaphas is the high priest, right? There's one high priest in Israel. It's a lifelong position, and he stays there until he dies but not Caiaphas. Caiaphas wasn't even descended of the line of Aaron. His father-in-law was actually the high priest until A.D. 15, and the Romans had some issues with him because he was a hardline Jew, and they said, we're going to get rid of this guy. We got to put someone in here who will play ball because I ain't going to do this fighting with this high priest. So they pulled Cai- uh, Annas, that's why your Bible, you may read, and it shows two different high priests. Annas was the high priest descended from Aaron until 15 AD. They pull him out. They put his son-in-law, Caiaphas, in the position. They make Annas go to the Sanhedrin, and they put him in that position. He wasn't even supposed to be there. He was a stooge of Rome. This is major in, in the culture and in the mind of Israel. Uh, this is not a political statement, but you know you heard the statement, not my president. Right. You heard about this one and you heard about the one before. Right. It was not my president. This is what the Jews said. Caiaphas. That ain't my high priest. Mm-mm, that's not mine. He's not descended of the line of Aaron. and he's not even supposed to be there. So this is who this guy is. So he is central to the plotting of Christ's death. In fact, he's got a palace. Guess who gave him that palace? Rome. They got the mortgage. So he listens to them. They pay the bills. They all meet at his courtyard to start this thing. So here's the plotting, trickery, picture of the world. It is 180 degrees different from Christ, his followers, and us. It is contrary in every possible way. Plotting, trickery, manipulation, trying to appease the current powers of Rome. That's who Caiaphas was. He is this picture of this worldly, godless authority masquerading in in godliness. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now we understand, right? This is the picture and the tensions going on in the world. All the forces of evil and their masquerading puppets and the pure beauty of Christ himself, who is actually in total control, but looks like he's lost control. This is the picture we have here. Number three on your notes. God's people pray. The world plots. They're plotting schemers. They're full of manipulation, lies, malice. I'm going to tell you, Christians, there is one thing we must be. We must be pure hearted prayers surrendered to Jesus Christ. We have nothing to do in us of plotting, scheming. We don't have anything to do with that group. We don't want to have any bit of malice in our heart. They plot and scheme. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders with this propped up high priest have been plotting and scheming. And is it just right now? They've been doing it for a while. Deep in their heart, seeds of malice and anger and unforgiveness have been there for three years, right? Now they have grown a wicked crop that will bloom. We don't have anything to do with that. Look at the disciples at the feet of Jesus. That's who I am. That's who you are, amen? Amen. The, The reason I pull and draw this out is because I look at this world. I am dumbfounded. At the manipulation, the lies, the plotting, the deceit—how half of media, which is a multi-billion-dollar industry, exists solely for the purpose to make someone else look bad—is that right? They get their paycheck by what do they call it? Uh, Trolling or true? Whatever that thing where they make they they find someone and they say something bad about them. Trolling, I think. Where's my fourteen-year-olds? That's why they exist. Their whole purpose in life. There it is right there. There's nothing new under the sun, right? We must see that and say, I am going to live under the cross in purity, under his submission, under his authority. The world can plot all at once, but I'm just going to pray and seek my God. Amen? That's just so important in our lives. So important. i tell you why. You want to know the end of Caiaphas' life? Two years after Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. The Syrian emperor came in and took him out, removed him from his position, because when the world puts you in a position, the world can take you out. But when God puts you in a position, only God can take you out. Amen? He builds up and he tears down. Tears down. At this embarrassment, because this has never happened until it happened to his father-in-law, he was happy about it then, but be sure your sin's going to find you out. He's disposed, rejected. He loses his palace, and he commits suicide two years later. That was the end of the service of the world. Look at someone and say, I'm a prayer, not a plotter. I don't have any of that. I don't want it. I'm not mad at anyone on this planet. I'm not going to harbor bitterness or anger or frustration. I love them all. Amen? Amen. And if they're heathens, I pray for them and say, this is the truth in love. But this is the truth, and here we'll stand. Verse 5, last point. Here we go, verse 5. They plotted to take him by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast... Least there be an uproar among the people. We could handle Jerusalem when it wasn't at flood stage. But it's Passover time. Everyone's thinking about Messiah. Everyone's thinking about salvation. It's five times as big. This thing's going to blitz a powder keg. It's going to blow up in our face. And everyone loves Jesus. They think him a prophet, even if they don't know he's the son of God. Not during, is that what they said? Not during the feast, least the people be in an uproar, and blow everything up. Well, wait a minute. This is Wednesday. Jesus was crucified on Friday. I thought they didn't want him. I I thought they didn't want this to happen. They were in charge, right? They, They had all this scheming and plotting. How much scheming and plotting? Let's look at Matthew 26. A whole bunch of scheming and plotting. So that was on Wednesday. Turn one page over. Let's just read this whole story so we can really understand them. And those who had laid hold of Jesus in the garden led him away to whose house? There he is again. Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Oh, they know they had their lawn chairs out on his front porch already. But Peter followed at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in, sat with his servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. They still don't even know how they're going to put him to death. They don't know yet, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days, talking about his body. And the high priest arose and said, do you answer nothing? What is it then, these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. He even invokes the living God statement, which means God is watching us right now, and you tell me. Jesus said, it is as you say. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds. Caiaphas, the next time you see me, I'll be on the throne. And you'll be in my presence for a split second and then gone forever. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of, have of witness witnesses? Look now. You have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? You know he rehearsed that speech. (laughs) He rehearsed that one several times. They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands. All this plotting, all this scheming, they still didn't get what they wanted. They didn't. Want all This was, remember, the fake trial at midnight. They were going to lead them away to Pilate. They got to figure out how they're going to do this. He saw Annas versus going back and forth. They didn't want it ever to go down like this because they were so afraid it was going to blow up. But it went down exactly like the sovereign God wanted it to. In all this, th- think about how many moving parts. got some uh, engineers in the room. Think about how many people... You've got the Jewish leaders, the elders, the scribes, uh, Jesus, Peter being violent with the ear. You've got them in the, they're in the garden. They have to go to Annas and they have to go to the high priest and they got to send in to Pilate and then back. And in all of these moving parts, statistically, there is no way it's supposed to happen exactly like this. Except there is a sovereign God who has an invisible hand. And even though every scheming plot says, we don't want this to happen like this it will because his hand rules and reigns in the affairs of men is that what the bible says yeah. number 4 on your notes the crucifixion shows god's rule he's in control even in my savior's suffering even in all the plotting and scheming and lies and trickery and deceit and hard-heartedness and, and uh, garrisons in Rome and Pilate, who's in control? Now, everybody, you've been, there's been tricks, there's been this, there's been that, there's been difficulties, but I'm going to tell you, he rules and reigns in my life, even in suffering. He rules and reigns in your life if you won't be a plotter or tricker, trickery and you'll say God I'm going to give this to you God I'm going to be your disciple God I'm going to serve and follow you and you rule and reign and all the suffering will have a purpose and be for his glory. Amen? Come on let's stand up. Worship team you can come up. We're moving right along here. One last scripture to prove this point. Philippians 1. 129. Let's look at it. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ. Now listen, this is a gift statement. His gift to you, your eternal salvation. It has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him. What is the? This is hard to swallow. The honor, the privilege, as Paul said, to know him in his suffering, but also to what? Oh, the cross, to know him in the power of his suffering. We need to re examine the cross to understand our own difficulties, right? Our own problems and pains, which we all have. But the cross and the cross alone give us 2020 vision in suffering. Amen? The cross and the cross alone give us 2020 vision in suffering and difficulty. Let's spend just a couple minutes with Jesus. We've got five minutes here. Just a couple minutes. Every suffering, everything you're dealing with. The cross is the antidote. It's the antidote for purity also. We will have nothing to do with the world. Tricks, lies, manipulation. Trying to get a promotion for the wrong reason. Trying to make someone like us or not like us. We're done with all of that. We have nothing to do with that system of the world. We are a new creation. Right now, tell him. I'm done with any of that. The way I talk, the way I deal, any, any bit. I'm a prayer, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Come on, tell them. Tell him. Tell him. Now maybe you're suffering. You have been saying, Why, God? What's going on, God? I don't understand God. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. It is not the gods of this world that pull the strings. It is the sovereign hand of God. Even though all of them said not during the the Passover, he was crucified at the Passover. Come on, let's make this proclamation. This is your prayer. Come on, this is it right here. This is our fork the road moment for everything you're dealing with. Oh, you are good, good. specifically that your voice because of struggling your voice of faith your proclamation of your faith your proclamation of the word your proclaiming the truth of jesus has been stifled even attacked because of your suffering you have shrunk back and stopped talking you have changed your tune because of attacks, because of difficulty, because even maybe the trickery of this world or the issues you have dealt with. No more. You are a child of God, a child of the King, bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And you live under the cross. You live by the words of God, not by anything that's going on in this world or man. And you be free in the name of Jesus. Repent for being quiet and say, God, I will speak and do in confidence everything you have called me to. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name. And we all said, Amen. Come on, let's praise Him. Come on, praise Him. Hallelujah. Oh, you're good, God. You're good. You're good. You are good. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. As I said, please be seated. I'm going to have you out in a few minutes.